Hello there. You're listening to 10 Questions, where we discuss the wet plate collodion process and the photographers that create these unique images known as ambrotypes and tintypes. I'm your host, Chad Shryock, wet plate photographer for Pork Pie Photography, based in Fort Collins, Colorado. In each episode, I've asked a modern-day practitioner to sit down with me and talk about how they got involved with this vintage process, share some information on their gear and studio, and provide some valuable insights into their creative process. So whether you're just beginning to dabble your toes in the collodion ethers, or you're a seasoned silver bath expert, hang on and see what develops with 10 questions. In this episode, we're heading to New York and talking to a wet plater known not only for his pop-up street photography, but a very impressive portfolio of musicians, both on and off the stage. I have to believe that this guy gets a lot of attention when setting up a dark box, a backdrop, and an old wooden camera alongside a busy street with traffic buzzing just a few feet away. What I can't believe, though, is that he can actually find a parking spot to set up all his gear in. Based in Brooklyn, New York, I'd like to welcome Justin Baruki to 10 Questions. Hey, Justin, how's it going, man? I'm doing great. How you doing, Chad? Awesome, awesome. Hey, thanks for uh, sitting down with me today to talk about Wet Plate. Yeah, um, man. Anytime. Thank I've, you. I've been a big fan of your work for a few years now, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to hearing about your experience with the process and I guess maybe just to get things uh, started off here, you're not just a tintype photographer, right? No, sir. So I've looked through your portfolio. Uh, you've shot Alice in Chains, Audio Slave, Slash Soundgarden, Beastie Boys, Black Crows. That's just partway through the bees. <laughs> Have you ever asked yourself, man, how, how lucky am I to be doing what I'm doing? Oh, man. Yeah, it's a, it's a dream. You know, it's... um. I'm very fortunate. It's it's a difficult business to survive in, hence the creation of NYC Tintype to drum up some extra cash between the freelance work back, you know, when things slowed down. Sure. Uh, and it turned into a pretty uh, a decent uh, side hustle for me. But um, yeah, it's um, working in the music industry has been a lot of fun. I mean, music has always been my passion, so to be able to photograph musicians and make a living from it is pretty incredible. That's and great. I'm not a musician at all. I, I can't play, oh, but uh, okay. you know, love music. So Nice. So so you've been involved in tintype photography for about 10 years now or so, About right? 10 years. I think nine years would be the, I think 10 years next year would be my tenth year. Okay. What, what really sparked your interest that made you want to add wet plate collodion to your repertoire? Well, it's a silly story. Uh, I was at a Renaissance fair with my, wife then girlfriend probably about 15 or so years ago and there was a guy dressed up as a pirate making tintypes and, <laughs> yeah. i don't know who it was and i kind of observed him from far i i kind of thought i knew everything about photography i knew what a tintype was i didn't know the process i didn't know you needed a dark room i didn't i didn't know anything about it i didn't know anything about it other than that a tintype was from you know the 19th century uh and it just sparked my interest so I, of course i went home and googled it and I was like, oh, crap, this is insane. Uh, and it took five years before I said, screw it, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to teach myself how to do this. Nice. And this guy was just set up uh, like in a tent or something at uh, Renaissance Fair? Yeah, in a Jersey Renaissance Fair. Um, I actually live in New Jersey with my family, but I'm a native New Yorker. So, ah, okay. uh, 
So yeah, he's um yeah, he was just set up in a tent and no idea who he was. Like I said, it was kind of like I kind of circled him around him. Like I was really like, what's going? On? I didn't even get close. I was just like intimidated and shocked and awed. I was like, what is happening here? You know, it was it was a strange. I was a weirdo. I don't know why I didn't go up and check it out. <laughs> nice. So I think I saw that maybe you went to the uh, Tin Type School of Hard Knocks, right? Kind of learning from Quinn Jacobson's uh, yes. manual, right? Yeah, I picked up his book, and it's great. I recommend anyone getting into the process, picking up the book. Uh, he's an awesome dude as well. He um, he's helped me out along the way as well. But uh, yeah. So, what was your experience in in learning the process? You know, I, I know a lot of people try to go to a workshop or something like that just to, you know, do more of a hands-on type instructional setting versus, hey, I'm going to, I'm going to take this book. I'm going to read through it and, and try and glean what I can from that. Maybe watch some, some videos online. What, what was your kind of experience like? Well, I, um, I will tell you this. It took me a few years before uh, I worked with another wet plate photographer, Jeff Hallett, who actually showed me the proper way to pour a plate. Cause that's one thing that I'm not pour a plate, but, develop a plate. That's one thing that you can't pick up from reading a book and watching videos. That actual, the nuances of pouring, of developing that plate, like pouring a developer. So when I saw, when he showed me that, I was like, oh, okay. And then I had so much more success. So I was doing it for a few years uh, on my own and then saw what he was doing firsthand and in person, I was like, okay, now I understand what I was doing all this time. But yeah, you know, like, you, you've done this. You got to make all the mistakes and, and then figure out how to troubleshoot them, you know, and recognize what the mistakes is so you don't, you know, you can continue your success. Sure. Yeah. For somebody getting started, there's typically uh, compounding mistakes, right? So it's kind of hard to narrow it down just to yeah. what the what the root cause is. Yeah. Uh, t- t- tell me about your first plate and how that went. Uh, it turned out beautiful. My very first day of shooting, I remember like it was yesterday because, um, you know, I just have this little model skull that's been with me since I was a teenager. It's like I just a little plastic skull that I built and I painted to make it look realistic. And it's it was probably one of the first things I photographed in my high school photography class. And I was like, you know, it's appropriate. Let me just set this out. I set it out on a fence post. So I set up a little four by five camera that somehow I didn't sell over the years because I haven't shot four by five film in, in ages. Uh, and the first plate, I got a good exposure. And clearing the plate, that's when you really fall in love when you see that plate clear through in the fixer. Oh, that's yeah. like when my heart was like, this is forever. Yeah. And then it was basically all downhill from there until you could get control <laughs> of it, you know? And, yeah. you know, I think the biggest problem uh, teaching yourself is, is learning the difference between overdevelopment and overexposing. It's hard to see which if you're doing both of them at the same time, it's hard to pull it back in unless you know you're overdeveloping and you're overexposing because, you know, it, both of the, you know, they could look very similar. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that uh, whenever you're able to get that first successful plate, even if it is your first one, that really pulls you in. You're like, oh, wow, I, I actually did it, right? You know, that's pretty amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like, it was an adrenaline rush, for sure. It's like, it's like you feel like you're in on the magic trick or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> do, you, uh, do you consider yourself primarily a portrait photographer? Mm, yes and no. Professionally, I'm a portrait photographer. Artistically, I, you know, creatively, I like to, you know, shoot whatever I want to shoot. You know, I like this, this process, what, what, what brought me into this process when I, when I finally decided to, to, 
to make that plate of that skull on that October day. My goal was like, I wanted to do street photography, not necessarily what you were mentioned in the pop-up streets, but like I wanted to build a, you know, a rolling, a rolling uh, setup and just kind of shoot around the, the street. Because when I first got into photography, that's what I wanted to be. I wanted to be an artist. I just wanted to walk around with a camera and take pictures and galleries and pay me tons of money, which of course didn't happen, <laughs> right? Because yeah. I was a kid, I was a teenager. I didn't know any better, but that's what drew me into photography from the beginning. I was like, you know what? I, I, I was kind of like, you know, like I needed a, a refresher. Like I, I needed a tin type, the tin type process to, to spark my love in photography again. And it, it did exactly that. And that's, that's what I did. I was like, I'm going to take this out. I'm going to go around. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shoot all over the place. And I'm going to make these images. And it's going to be a real big pain in the ass to do it all. <laughs> so that said, it, 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 it very quickly turned into me making portraits and making more money. And, and, and the whole, you know, doing it for myself thing kind of like went by the wayside, you know, because, you know, we have a family, we have to make money and et cetera. So... Yes, I'm a portrait photographer, but I'm also a street photographer at heart. But I need, I want to get out and do more street photography, which I really haven't done much at all since I started doing the tintype process. Ah, nice. I take it uh, as you were in the early learning stages, your family got to uh, bear the brunt of sitting in the chair the most. Yes. Yes, <laughs> indeed. Yes, indeed. Yep. Do you do you have a favorite portrait that you've shot in the past? Uh, it's hard to say. I've had, yeah, I guess I had some favorites. There was this one of, from the beginning, uh, there was this a fr- family friend whose name is Barry. He was kind of like, you know, the neighborhood guy who uh, you would you know, pay to, you know, help do some yard work. He was like, the, like, Barry, I need to paint my house. Can you come help me? And you give him like a you know, case of beer and a $20 bill and, yeah. would, you know, help you out. And he had nice. a, like a real, real, character who's like like he could have been like a hollywood character actor like he had such a face and uh he was my my heart and muse for a while so i have some portraits of that fellow that i that i uh i always loved outside that yeah there's always a few that kind of stick out on top of my head you know you know as some favorites but um you know uh, you you've had the chance to photograph so many folks and and not just the celebrity piece of it but you've got access to so many different interesting people being in New York, right? And um, just seems like every portrait that you take, I hope there's something kind of special about it. And there's been a few of those portraits that I've taken that there's been something really special about it. And, 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 you know, maybe it has been just a a family friend or something like that. But uh, it's going to need to think back that everything kind of fell into place just for that one split second that you're able to to capture that image. I know you've got a more permanent studio now, but let's talk about why you decided to give tintype street photography a go. Okay. How did, how did that come about? Well, it started um, uh, for fun, really. My wife was like, hey, you should, you know, go to do some street fairs and, and you know, farm fairs and stuff like that and, you know, try to sell some portraits and she didn't and, uh, want you to dress up like a pirate, though, right? No, she didn't want me dressed like a okay. pirate. Definitely not. Yeah. I tried to, but she wouldn't allow it. <laughs> yeah. So at first, it was just doing street fairs, and um, you know, with mixed success. It was, it was, you know, it was a lot of work and it was a lot of fun, but uh, you know, it just got got a little tiresome. So I kind of, I kind of like shied away from that. So I did street fairs probably maybe two thousand six, 
15, 16, like so in around there, I did, you know, a bunch of them through the, through the summer. And then basically what happened was, mentioned doing it in the city, I was set in, I was in Soho on Prince Street, just set up the camera, pointing it up, just shooting some buildings, just doing the street thing. Like I had my, my rolling rig on a, you know, on a cart and I was just, just shooting, just shooting street stuff. Okay. And there were street vendors there and, you know, like you said, you just pull this crap out on the street, you, people are going to talk to you. So I started talking to the street vendors on, on, the, on the street there. And they were like, you should come out here and, and sell your tin types on the street. And I'm like, oh, yeah, cool, cool. You know, and I'm still doing my thing. And I just got to talking to them after I was done with my shop. And, um, like, basically, they were inviting me, like, here, you could, you could do this here. And then I was like, ah, yeah, but then you're going to do a parking. He's like, no, man, the, 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 the meter maids won't, like, bother the street vendors. If you stay with your car, you're not, not going to get a ticket. Ah. And that's what went, what? Now, now we know the secret. No, yeah, <laughs> that is the secret. But you have to have the in. There's, like, you know, it's brutal out there. You know, there is a, uh, a culture with the street vendors, and, and they'll, you know, like, the, you know, the, you have to, like, be – accepted you know because there's spots you have certain places there's rules there's unwritten rules there's all of that and i actually broke them all like i took up too much space you know and like <laughs> but it, it was it was a lot of fun and yeah i had that one spot it was it was out in front of morrison hotel gallery which is actually funny it's a music art gallery and doing so i got to know them as well and they ended up signing me on for my music portrait photographer just saw my, my my work through their gallery because that was kind of funny how nice. that worked out. <laughs> but yeah, it was a lot of fun, man. It was just like you had to, you know, I used to do it two to three times a week and I would yet get in real early in the morning before like the trucks pull in. Because usually before the business is open, you know, there's, you know, trucks will come in and do any kind of work, you know, like road work, building work, deliveries. So you have to get in there, park before all the trucks come and you just, you know, just puke out all your equipment onto the street and, and shoot away, you know. But uh, yeah, it, it worked out pretty pretty good. Nice, nice. What um, what's your least favorite part about doing that type of photography versus being in the studio? The weather, man. If once you once it gets cold, we like it gets cold. You know, um, the weather, the rain, like the rain will come down on you. Then you have to deal with that. I mean, really, for me, what what got tiresome for me mostly was all the equipment, like just pulling the yeah. equipment out of the van, setting it up, breaking it down. Like, you know, it was, that was just a lot. Uh, and then some days you were slammed all day long. Other days you twiddle your thumbs. So it's like some days you like, you go home with your tail between your legs. So it was kind of like, why, why, why is yesterday so good? And then today was nothing. It was just the weirdest, the weirdest thing. So what I learned to do was I would just average out my days. Okay. So I shot six days a week and then, what I made in those six days is what I made daily. And I was like, okay, well, it's still worth my time. I still made good money. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was just, um, I think the weather and, and just, you know, hauling equipment in general, that's what really moved me to get my own studio just because I was just tired of, of taking two hours to set up every time that I was shooting. Basically I went from shooting in Soho to being hosted at different businesses and I soon realized that I could do better by booking appointments in advance. So if a, a popular tattoo shop hosted me, they posted about it and I'll get bookings through their social media. 
And then from there, I realized like, okay, I've tried to figure out different ways to get advanced bookings. I even tried to do it in Soho as well. I did get some bookings. I was offering specials. If you book in advance, you know, you know, at a, at a discount price, you get a whole bunch of plates. And then at least I know that money is there that day. But um, ultimately it turned, it, it turned into me looking for my own space because I, I was tired of looking for people to host me. You know, it was just, I just wanted a home. I want to make it easier. Right. The goal is always make work easier for you and, and to have a small studio where I could just, you know, leave all my equipment and come back to it and just, you know, have to set up chemicals and makes the day, you know, a lot easier. Sure. What's uh, what's your current setup look like then inside of the studio? Man, I got a tight little space. I mean, because I only, I actually only use it a couple times a month. I got a really small space. It's, it's like 200 square feet. I got a, um, a Speedatron 4,800 watt second pack. Okay. Uh, as my key, and then I have a small uh, 7B Profoto battery-operated pack as a as a fill, and then I have a third 24 Speedo that I pull in sometimes if needed. And it's real simple, you know. I I, I don't have a I have I work out of my dark box. I don't have running water in there. Yeah, it's it's real simple. It's it's you know, cozy is a good way to put it. Nice, nice. So it was an easy transition to go from the dark box on the road to the dark box in the studio then. Yeah, I'll tell you this, uh, Chad. I've literally never worked out of a proper dark room uh, <laughs> making tin types. Always been a dark box. Wow. Never had running water, so I'm always doing the you know the, the you know moving water around. Sure. So. Use uh, KCN or Hypo for fix. Um, I use. I guess some people call it fake KCN. When my um, KCN supply ran out, uh, I had a hard time replenishing it. And, you know, I was trying to remember his name. It's a fella in Los Angeles turning on to this other fake KCN. It's, it's basically ammonia, ammonium thiosulfate 60%. I get it from Photographer's Formulary. Okay. And I mix it one to three. And um, it clears, it washes just as easily as, as our KCN. And that's what I've been doing okay. for the past, like, five or so years. It's uh, ammonium thiosulfate. I think it's a rapid fix, right? I believe so, but I... I I'm not 100% sure if, if rapid fix is exactly ammonium thiosulfate. Like I believe it's like a, a component in the uh, rapid fix. Like rapid fix has a hardener added in it as well, which makes it very difficult to wash, if ah. I'm not mistaken. I am not a scientist. Okay. I'm also yeah. not a historian. So what I just basically know what works for me. And what I did was is I was very reluctant at first because I was just going on someone's word. And then, and then from there... I couldn't find any information. I couldn't find anyone else using it on the forums or anything like that. So what I did was I made it the point to overwash and I, I took a plate. I think Quinn might've actually suggested this to me. He's like, yeah, I heard it. I know it works fine, but he, you know, he uses his KCN. He's like, just take a plate and cover half of it and put it in the sun for a while. And you'll know if you're not archival, if it, if the uncovered part turns black. Uh, yep. So if you go out into my, driveway and look in my van i always have that one plate and still has not turned black so i'm archival you know so i know i know i'm good (laughs) so you know i have my series of trays that i rinse my water out and i know at the halfway point that's that's when i'm archival and i go just a little bit further just to be sure the one thing that made my street tintype pop-up studio work the key to that success was the profoto 7b and the magnum reflector the magnum reflector is is kind of a sports reflector. It's a large, maybe ten or eleven inch diameter reflector, and it's deep. 
So it really focuses the light. So if you set up, you know, your 7B with the standard 7-inch reflector and you have a meter, it might read F8. And if you take that magnum reflector, it'll read 22. Like it, it just oh, pushes wow. light. So it really pushes light. And a lot of different companies will have a similar style reflector, but it won't be called a magnum. Like you just have to look for it. Like a, it might be called a sports reflector. I think in Speedatron world, I think it's called the sports reflector. So anything that's deep and, and, and designed to push and focus the light far away. That was the key for me to get shit done when I didn't have access to power. Nice. Um, and also that the, uh, the ammonium thiosulfate, when you can't get hold of KCN, you know, how else are you going to rinse plates off, you know, with, you know, fixer that has to be rinsing yeah, for 20, 20, 20 minutes. Wash yeah. Or whatever, yeah. Yeah. So that was, that's also was key to my success when I lost, uh, my cyanide connect. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, if you could go back to the cyanide, would you do it? Uh, I might. Honestly, uh, I would like to do a Pepsi challenge and put them side by side and see what uh, it looks like. Nice. Uh, however, that might might upset me. Like, what if I like the KCN better and I still can't get a hold of it? <laughs> oh, you can just go back to it. If it ain't broke, don't fix it, you know? You're right. So. right. Yeah. No, that's great. Have you used any of those eyeliner reflectors? You know, the kind no, of I haven't. Um, curved. I've, I've seen a lot of folks get some interesting catch lights with those, but yeah, they one. don't do anything for me. I don't really see. I like to keep it simple. Like work with one light, add a second one in if you need it. You know, even in my uh, modern practice, I'm rarely using reflectors or or uh, bounce cards. It's usually the light source, and if anything, it's more negative fill. I want to like block the light and cut the light. And control the light. Yeah, I, for me, less light is is uh, is more. Less is more for sure. Let let the shadows speak, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nice. Exactly. Okay. Uh, speaking of uh, some of the gear that you mentioned there, as far as your flashes, what about your your main camera rig that you've got? Um, I have a old uh, Kodak uh, 2D. Uh, it's an eight by ten camera, and I have a reducing back. I you know shoot a. Five by five by six and a half plate. It's the format that I kind of like in shooting out of. I have a few lenses. Uh, I guess a few years ago I picked up my Dahlmeyer. Was it the three B? Okay. Yep. I yeah, the three B. That's, yeah, that's the the big boy with right. the F three lens. Yeah, and that was my primary portrait lens. And just a few months ago I picked up a, a French lens. Um, I actually wrote this stuff down because I never remember what it is. And of course I can't find my notes. Uh, so, Paul, it's a 200 millimeter F3, and I picked it up from that guy Wet Plate Dreams in, in Europe. Oh, okay, yep. Yeah, I see a lot uh, of stuff posted there. Yeah, he's got a good collection. I, I, I should have always went to him looking for stuff, but yeah, he has beautiful stuff, and I love the lens. And I also use this um, a Zeiss Jenner uh, 210 F4.5 for my group shots. So, th those are my three lenses I kind of cycle through. Nice. I, I think. We probably use the same camera. I've got a, an old Eastman uh, 2D as well. Yeah, I love so, it. I, I love it. Yep. Any any upgrades that you would like to do? I mean, you're you probably know all the nuances with that camera and pretty. Yeah, good to I go mean, with it. I'm I'm good to go with it. I was I um I want to kind of I'm I'm working on duplicating my setup so I have you know stuff that I could take on the you know be more mobile so I could just leave my studio and then have another setup where I could just, you know, I don't have to break down the studio. I could just load the fan. So I've recently bought a, 
I think a Corona five by seven. Uh, the Dahlmeyer won't mount on there; it's too large. But I have I was able, I'm able to mount the other lenses on that as well. Uh, I, I think uh, the I, I love working with the um, the Eastman. I just wish it had a uh, left to right uh, shift instead of having to move that tripod. You know, uh, yep. You know, you yep. just have to move it a little bit. You have to kind of like it's really hard. Like I, I guess I kind of mastered the art of kicking the legs just to move it over to the <laughs> left and the right a little bit. Yeah. But it would be really nice to have a nice camera with, with those shift motions on. You know, so you could just move it over a little bit. Yeah. Other than that, that's the. You know, I've been using that camera for just about past ten years, uh, nine years. Most of my wet plates have been shot on that camera. So. Well, that just goes to show you how well those things were built a uh, hundred yeah. years ago, right? I mean, yeah. it's been through a lot. <laughs> yeah. Indeed. Yeah. Uh, so, so I want to say I am a bit of a hack guitarist, um, a lover of many genres of music, and and dude, I'm really envious of some of the folks that you've had the chance to photograph. <laughs> Is there anyone on your list, musician or not, that that you'd really love to get into that chair and, and take their tintype? Oh, yeah, without a doubt, Tom Waits is my number one, probably never even have an opportunity to photograph him. Uh, okay. The man doesn't tour. He's just, you know, it's just Tom Waits. So. <laughs> I think Tom Waits and uh, Bruce Springsteen are on, on the top of my list of, of folks to, to photograph. Yeah. In, in your opinion, is there a type of sitter that's more suited to this process than others? I mean, if, if somebody comes to you, and you look at them and you're like, oh, wow, this, this is going to be incredible. What is it that kind of tips you off to that? Oh, just the character, really. I mean, I mean, you could, I love photographing men that are wrinkled and have that have character, you know, of course I love photographing beautiful, beautiful people as well. But uh, yeah, if, if face has character, I want to, I want them sitting in front of my camera. If someone comes through my, my studio door and, they're with their partner. I'm like, oh, don't you want to do individual portraits as well? Because I know they would make a great portrait, you know, just like a, you know, a nice, nice tight shot, you know? Nice. How many, I guess, folks in the music industry have you actually captured with the tintype process? I, I think I saw maybe a photo of Rob Zombie, but I, yeah. I didn't kind of poke around to see if there were very many of them. And Not a ton. Um, I could, I could, kind of go down the list backwards like say yeah. earlier or last year uh, i had coheed in cambria in my studio uh we did rob zombie in the pandemic coming up to connecticut that that turned out to be a great shoot he really loved the process and then all right let's see i shot uh, warren haynes clutch as a band thursday as a band nikki six who also actually shoots tin types yeah so i had him in front he's like yeah i work i I, I know how to do this. He's like, you're kidding me. He's like, yeah. <laughs> so we're talking shop. And then on a That's separate, a completely separate shoot, I shot uh, Nick Mars from Motley Crue as okay. well. But, yep, so, sweet. yeah, it's always hard to for the tin type process with assignments because of the time a lot. Right. Know? That's that's what I wanted to dig into. I didn't know if uh, if those people really knew what they were getting into. <laughs> Usually they don't. Usually they're they're convinced. They're told, and and it's always been a pretty big rush for it too. You know, like say when I did uh, Nikki Six, I think I had a half hour total for the shoot, and I had to shoot digital as well. So you know, it was kind of like you have to like really. I mean, honestly, I have. Um, regrets from from that shoot 
not regrets. I, I didn't come out with a great Nikki Six image. People say they love it, they're great, but it didn't make me happy. I just didn't have enough time to, to get them on tintype the way I wanted to. So yeah, you, you want to have more time, but you rarely do. Uh, I'll say with the uh, Rob Zombie, that was supposed to be also be a fast shoot, you know, but he got into it. Like he was also at home, so he was comfortable. Uh, so he saw what I was doing. He, was, he appreciated it and he gave me more time. You know, I, I did some portraits of him and his wife as well and, you know, gave it to him, you know, to try to grease him up to get more time. But yeah, yeah, when, when you, can, you know, usually it'll get their attention and, and people get into it if their schedule allows. But usually it's like time slot. They got to move on to the next thing, you know, because they're doing press days. Sure, sure. Yep. That's awesome. Uh, I've seen it. You know, a few of the, of the other portraits that stood out to me. There's a great shot of Ron Wood uh, online, and then the the Chris Cornell photos are amazing. Thank um, you. Thank great you. loss. Um, yeah, absolutely. With him, but um, pretty amazing uh, to to be able to share this process with some of those folks. That again, I mean, I I, I guess I would consider them like anybody else. They probably never heard of it, and. Not very many well, Ron, people get to experience it, right? <laughs> Ron Wood wasn't a uh, tintype. He was, he was still. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And Cornell as and well. Same, same yeah. thing with Cornell, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Is yeah, there... Ron... Go ahead. No, I was going to say, Ron Wood, man. He was... What a pleasure. Uh, obviously, Rolling Stone, so it was just... I was ecstatic. And yeah. he brought the energy to that shoot of a a kid who started his first band is going to be in his first magazine. Like he was just excited. <laughs> he was interested. He was charming. You know, here he's been doing it for what? 50, 60 years, you know, yeah. I don't know how hundred, how long has he been playing? The Rolling Stones? Probably 50 years at this point. I, I'm, I mean, I don't know, but there he is happy to be at the shoot, you know, like, wow. How is this, how is this happening right now? Like, how is this guy not just done with, with photo shoots, right. you know, and yeah, Chris Cornell, he was, he was a, he was a, a beautiful person to work with. He was very nice, very kind. Nice. Is there anything on your plate other than the kind of work that you're doing now? I mean, do you have any ideas for any other projects or things that you would like to do with the process? Well, yes, I, I do want to get back out and work on my fine art street photography which uh, I don't, it's, it's on the website. It's probably buried. It's probably street on the street project. That's something I do want to, I do want to get back into, but um, I'm trying to like rebuild my mobile rig. Cause the old one was made out of wood crates and it just weighed a ton. And it was just, you know, do I really want to pull it out of the van? You know, do I really want to get this shot. Do I really want to do this. So I want to kind of like streamline that and just kind of get back out there and just, just do some street photography again for me and for nobody else. Nice. Um, other than that, you know, you know, I love working out of the studio. That's, that's, that's what's going on really. I was going to ask you on your street arrangement that you've got with your van, what does that studio piece look like? I mean, do you have a separate dark box or do you leave all that gear inside of the van? No, I you... use the, I um, open up the tailgate of the van and I, set up the backdrop, you know, in the van, like, so you'd sit, either sit on the tailgate of the van or you'd sit on a chair in front of the, you know, the rear of the van. 
uh, and then I would have two C stands with, you know, Prophoto 7Bs. And this was the key. This is the key to my whole setup. The 7B, which is a 1200-watt second pack with the Magnum Reflector. The Magnum Reflector will, will give you an extra two stops of, of light. Like, it really focuses the light really well. So, uh, back then, I wasn't, I didn't have my, my, uh, my Dalmire. I was using a 5.6, 300-millimeter. So, you know, I needed every bit of light to get those exposures. Uh, yep. So, um, yeah, and then I just had a sales table with samples uh, on the sidewalk. And my dark box was just on a, on a folding table. And it was just, you know, all done right there. Do you find that you needed to uh, kind of pull somebody in and, and shoot one just to get folks interested or at least let them know what you actually were doing there? Yes and no. It, it really, I tried really hard to, to figure out what the uh, recipe for success was out there. Like I said earlier, some days like I would be busy all day long. Other days would be just a few. Other days, one. Yeah, I could do a test, and then people would check it and like, oh, this is cool, and then not purchase it. It really, it really is just chance. It's like who's walking by, who wants to do it. Uh, yeah, that wouldn't necessarily guarantee success. So, you know, <laughs> other times a, a line will guarantee success. Once two or three people line up, then there's like a line like down the street, and you're just rocking and rolling, and you know, trying to come up for air every once in a while. Justin, who are some of the photographers that you look up to or that inspire your work? Hmm. Some of my favorite uh, photographers are, throughout the years, would really be Annie Leibowitz, Danny Clinch, Louis Stettner, Robert Frank. I think those are my tops. Some of them, like, I guess, uh, contemporary wet platers, Ian Wooter's work is incredible he's always moved me i think he's my favorite modern tin type photographer but plate photographer yeah those 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 guys always drive me every time i dip back into one of their books or their websites yeah it keeps me going you know yeah what uh what sources have you used to kind of inspire the portraits that you take today I mean, have you, have you looked through like his, you said you weren't really into history, so you, you probably didn't get into like, uh, you know, this is how they used to set up, you know, during the civil war to take these kind of yeah. portraits and things. I mean, what, what kind of, uh, gave you the, the feeling for how you wanted to sit people and, and kind of really get them looking the best for this process? Well, I'll just say that, um, it's not that I'm not into history. It's just that I use this more as a tool. So I'm not really like the, uh, most of my, my approach really isn't much different than how I would approach a modern shoot. I mean, a lot of it in the beginning was just trying to get enough light to make it work, you know, for those, those strobes. It's, it wasn't easy, you know, when you have those slower lenses. Sure. Now that I have the faster lens, I could, you know, I could be a little more creative with, with what the light mod modifier is, you know, uh, Really, I uh, if you if you look through my work, if you look at the Ron Wood image, like that light kind of carries through a lot of my portraits. Like um, you'll see that repl replicating in a different way in in my tintype studio because it can't be the same light because you know everything is different with wet plate, of course. But yeah, my my main approach is when I sit somebody down, it's just got to make them 
make them at ease really quickly when you only shoot one tintype, you got to make it count, you know? Right. So uh, that's, that's one thing that I could say that, that I approved as a photographer is being able to connect with people really quickly doing these pop-ups, whereas you sit down, we take one image, you move on. So it's just like making people feel comfortable so quickly. And that, that helps, you know, with all my portrait work. Did, uh, did you go through an evolution with your lighting setup? I mean, did you start off with the speedatrons and, and strobes or did you, you know, Hey, the first shot is outside. So I'm going to play around with, you know, direct sunlight for a while and then maybe move to fluorescence or did you just go right into strobe work? I've always had strobes, you know, because of, you know, my photography business. Ah, so, yep. so, I mean, I started out outside just, you know, for ease, you know, uh, I didn't set up strobes for that. Uh, yeah, strobes is uh, is what I use all the time, and it was natural for me to turn to that to light my portrait subjects. I've always had speedatrons. I had the twenty four hundred watt second pack, and I was using that. And then eventually, I got the forty eight because obviously, you want more power. You know. Justin, so what what advice do you have for newcomers to this craft, or or even other seasoned photographers? You had mentioned some of the the struggles that you had getting started. What are some things that you would share with with other people that are getting into wet plate, just to kind of help them out? Hmm. What I would say is is you got to try to keep things simple. I would say when you're starting starting up with the process, work with daylight first and master the chemicals, and then start working on your lighting. Or you know, don't worry about too much lighting. Just have even have something consistent. Like even if it's you know, like if you have one consistent light, I always recommend people start off with a chemical kit, a pre-mixed chemical kits, because then, then you know you, the stuff that you have works, you didn't make mistakes, and then you could work out your darkroom techniques and then learn how to expose a plate. And then once you get a hold of that, you could experiment with a little bit of lighting. And then when you need to, you know, mix your own chemicals, you start, mix, mix your developer first. Don't, you know... And then just kind of piece it out, like grab control of the animal a little bit at a time until you could take control of the animal completely. Just got to keep it simple. Yeah. As, as simple as you can. Yeah. I think that's, that's my basic advice I usually give people who are starting out. Are there any other resources other than like Quinn's manual that you've referenced and as you've tried to learn more about the process or has that pretty much been your go-to? Quinn's pretty much been my go-to. His book was, was very helpful, and he has loads and loads and loads of videos on his YouTube. So there's, there's not much. You don't really need to go anywhere else. Obviously, you can. But um, he always spoke to me. Like, I always, you know, like, if you could sit down and just listen to that guy for hours. Huh? I will tell you this, though. UV Photographics in, in Los Angeles. Have you ever worked with them? I, I have, yeah. I've, I've, uh, I was on a kick to where I was just trying to do my collodion from scratch for a while. So I had ordered a bunch of stuff from them and, and it had turned out okay. But, you know, it's, it is a bit more of a hassle to, to mix all that stuff versus just buying the two-part kit from, from Bostick and Sullivan or some other yeah. place. Yeah. Well, one of the things that also drew me into this photography process was the fact that everything had to be made from scratch. Like I just loved that. Like I just loved the idea of, of like, measure this all out, grind it out, dissolve it, and just do all that. We all, we all love that. Um, and I did a job in Los Angeles uh, 
with um, another band I forgot to mention before, uh, Stone Sour, one of the guys from Slipknot, his rock band or whatever. And I ordered my uh, my chemicals from from Brian at UV Photographics, and and I used it. It was great. And I actually shipped it back to me and went back to to my house in, in Jersey. And then I always kept his bottle of Colonian in you know my cooler whenever like as a backup like so whenever my clodian acted up or was just giving me problems i would grab his uvpx which i purchased and and then before i knew it i've had this bottle in my in my box for probably close to a year and it was always consistent wow <laughs> um and i was like what the what the fuck like, why am I having so much problems here, right? Like, 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 I, I mix something and it'd be work great for three weeks, and then all of a sudden you have this this shit going on. But yet, this mysterious bottle, this one year old bottle, still this one year old bottle is still going strong and always consistent. I said, I'm done. I'm done. I've just I've just been buying it from him, like the pre mix, and and I, like I had it, I struggled with it because I wanted to make it on my my own. You know what I'm saying? And I still don't like that I have to rely on anybody. You know, I don't have to rely on. If he if he stops selling it, I could you know just start mixing it myself again. But like, I was just I just love it so much, and that's why I always tell people like, yeah, just move. If you move to UVPX, it will always work, and it will never be the problem. So that's one part of the elimination problem. Like like, oh well, where where's the problem? Well, I know it's not my UVPX unless I contaminated it, because it's <laughs> rock solid. The yeah. stuff is amazing. It's it's almost a, a rite of passage for wet platers to have to go through and mix all of that stuff up at least one time. Yeah. And, and there's probably going to be folks like yourself that are just like, oh man, I, I love doing this. And then there's going to be people like me that are like, this is this is too much trouble. I, I, I'm going to shoot for consistency <laughs> and just buy the stuff, you know? Yeah. It, I did it reluctantly. Like I really was yeah. like, <laughs> I, I was like, I was being real stubborn about it. I was like, no, no, no. Because I also think about like how much money you'd waste on on bad clodians that just would turn on you and just not work out. And then time, time is money, of course. So you're spending all this time trying to figure out this problem. And there's this one goddamn bottle that always works. <laughs> so I have got uh, three quarters of an old uh, Everclear bottle that is full of this bright red collodion that has just been collecting in there for the years that's been kind of my my waste bottle so yeah <laughs> i know what you mean it's like man i think about all the plates that i could have shot with that and it's uh it's all spent never threw any of his uvpx out always used it right to the end of the bottle all right well i'm, I'm gonna it's have amazing. to check it out <laughs> yeah <laughs> justin do you ever take your show on the road have you done any uh traveling tin types or you pretty much stay in the uh in the area there I pretty much stay in the area. I'm, I'm a family man, so I try not to go when I don't have to go. You know, yeah, yeah. I, I, I pretty much stay. I mean, I, I want to like, I, like I mentioned earlier, I want to like have a second setup of equipment. Where it's like, hey, let's go to Massachusetts and, and work out of Massachusetts, or you know, or let's go on a road trip and do some tin typing. So it's something I do want to do, but you know, we have young kids too, so it's a little pain in the butt. So yeah. right now, it's it's mostly local. You know. And, and I guess along the same lines as uh, helping people, I, I think I saw that you do some occasional workshops. Occasionally. It's something that I want to do a little bit more in the future as well. Yeah, I, I did a, a few of them before, before the pandemic. And, and I'll say this, uh, I did a, a two remote ten, uh, workshops through the pandemic. I had uh, some folks reach out to me from Boston 
they, uh, Maureen and Dave, they have a business now called Evoked in Pipe. And Maureen basically just out of the blue messaged me. is like, hey, I would like to do this remote thing. You know, she had no, ex- they had no experience in background in photography, none whatsoever. Okay. And basically said, all right, if we're going to do this, you have to, you know, you have to have the equipment. So I made her equipment less than it got at all. And we just did it with, you know, we did it with FaceTime so we can keep the camera moving. And I, you know, like, and they, they, they picked up on it and, you know, like they did great, they did great work. And, and now they're, you know, they have their business going too. You know, I know, I know for a fact that they did have some in-house workshops afterwards, like in-person workshops, because like we all could benefit from seeing it in person, but, sure. but yeah. they were able to pick up everything through Zoom and, and just, and I was, like I said, I was so impressed the fact that they had no prior photography experience. So it was, it was a lot of fun working with them. Yeah, that's great. I mean, that is one thing that, uh, like a lot of other communities, even in the online, you know, with Facebook and stuff, there are these different groups. And, and a lot of times you've got camps of folks that, uh, that really want to kind of guard their trade secrets or whatever. But uh, it's good to know that there are folks out there willing to kind of give that information out and, uh, and share it with other folks that are, that are really new to the process. Well, you know, Chad, the more people who create tintypes means that there's more people who are aware of tintypes. The more people are aware Absolutely. of types, the more we all can be more successful. Yeah, I love that idea. I mean, I, I don't know how many times, you know, I've I've set up in different places and I'm like, hey, yeah, I'm shooting tintypes here. And it's like, well, what's a tintype? I've never heard of that before. Yeah. It's like, come on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, Justin, how do people that want to see your work or maybe even get a portrait taken by you? How do they get in contact with you? NYCTintype.com. I always have dates posted that uh, you could book right there, right there on NYCTintype.com. If you want to see any of my music photography, it's Baruki.com, but you could access that through NYCTintype.com as well. Great, great. All right, Justin. Well, thanks for being on 10 Questions today. I uh, appreciate you joining up with me and sharing some information on your experience in this process. Yeah, man. Thanks for being patient with me. My wife and I were actually out in New York a couple of years ago, and and I had, at that time, I had started following you. I'm like, man, that would be so cool to just, like, walk by and and see this guy, like, out on the street doing this shit. (laughs) It was fun, man. I got to tell you, I do still miss it. I, I've been telling my dudes out on the street, I'm like, I'm going to come back. But I'm like, oh, do I want to load up a van and break down the studio? That's why I want to have that second setup. Yeah. So I can just go and do that for fun if I wanted to, you know? Yeah, it was it was fun. I, was I still have all of my crap sitting around. I, sh- I shoot in my uh, in my basement. So I've got, Yeah. Uh, I actually do have a, a, a sink that I plumbed up and in a kind of a full working dark room, but I've still got all of my crap strung everywhere. I went and did a, a demo at a, a local high school here a few days ago. Well, let's see, it was last, it was on Friday last week. So I've got a session set up for this weekend. So I got to get all my stuff put back together. Yeah, nice. Oh, actually, there is one more thing I'll add in. Okay. Now, uh, I did mention that I've never worked out of a proper dark room. I'm always out of the dark box, always working out of water bottles. Yep. And even in my basement, workshop where I do my chemical mixing, I don't have plumbing down there either. And that's always been a pain in the ass. And recently I set up a slop sink with a Home Depot bucket 
underneath the for the drain, and I got a, a Ryobi handheld pressure washer, which will pull water from another Home Depot bucket. Okay. And I use that to clean my stuff now, and it's life changing. Uh, it's like I have an actual sink, but you don't, you know, because I. There's no plumbing down there. Right. So <laughs> hey, you got to you got to do what you got to do, right? I wish I did it a long time ago. It was torture. Like I, I, you know, to actually clean anything out, I have to go out and hose it off. And you know, in the winter time, it's freezing. You know, it was just a nightmare. I don't know how I kept anything clean before I before I did this without without water. Maybe yes. one day I'll have a, a freaking sink with modern plumbing in it. <laughs> but I guess it's appropriate that I don't. You're still getting stuff done, so I wouldn't yeah. really bother you too much. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they didn't have plumbing you know, a lot of times, you know, back in the day, so. Right, right. Yeah, man. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, no problem. Thanks. I hope you've enjoyed this week's episode and maybe even picked up some insights that will help you along in your own wet play journey. I'd love to hear from you on who you'd like to have on in a future episode. So send me a message and follow our Instagram account at 10 questions with any feedback. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button on your favorite podcast provider. Thanks for listening to me, Chad Shryock, and my expert guests. And I look forward to you joining me again in the coming weeks for a new episode of 10 Questions. Questions.